Welcome to the Governance Voice Podcast, your source for news, trends, and challenges in the world of corporate governance. GBC is a member organization that promotes and supports the role of the governance professional and corporate secretaries across Canada. We provide valuable information on changes and developments that affect our industry. Each month, we dedicate a podcast episode to a key relevant topic. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Governance Professionals of Canada is providing this podcast as a public service and an informative resource on issues in governance. Our content is not intended as a legal representation nor a formal statement of GPC's policy, opinion, or recommendations. Any reference to specific products, services, or entities does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by GPC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of their views or of any entity they represent. GPC does not take responsibility for content produced outside of our organization. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact our organization at info at gpcanada.org. That's info at gpcanada.org. Welcome to this month's episodes of The Governance Voice, the podcast of Governance Professionals of Canada, or GPC. I'm your host, Latricia Fullerton, Here at GPC, I'm the Manager of Administration, Education, and Special Projects, and I'm also one of your hosts for the podcast. As you know, we're always looking for trending and pressing governance topics to discuss. We hope that our podcast helps all governance professionals in Canada to better support, guide, and influence their boards and their organizations. Today, we have with us today Patrick Cormier. He's the Chief Operations, Financial, and Legal Officer at Digital Identity Laboratory of Canada. He is a regular conference speaker and an instructor on digital signatures, information security, and law. He is, we're also fortunate um, to have Patrick as one of our faculty for the GPC.D designation program. And he also uh, is a facilitator for numerous events with GPC. So thank you so much, Patrick, for being with us today. How are you? I'm good, Latricia. Thank you for asking. It's beautiful in Montreal. Awesome. Great. Joining us from lovely Montreal. Awesome. Okay. So just to get right into it, Patrick, um, what started your interest in bylaws and good governance practices? Well, as often, all good ideas starts with a, a problem, a challenge. In my case, I was a member of a time-sharing organization in which there were approximately 30,000 individuals that were members of that timeshare system. And it was a very sophisticated legal environment in which a private interest was actually in complete control of a non-for-profit incorporated in Delaware. Mm -hmm. And individuals like me, although we collectively own 95% of the points in circulation, we had no control or no real say on what was happening with our timeshare. This is a a significant timeshare. It has nine properties spread over Canada, US, and Mexico. Mm -hmm. So we decided to incorporate a not-for-profit, but then to consolidate the voting power of all the individuals, members like me. And very quickly arose the following problem. How could we make sure that individuals would trust this new entity called MWEST? in wielding the collective voting power of all of its members into the affairs of the timeshare system. So whenever you have a problem like this, 
the answer intuitively we know lies in governance but we went a step beyond and we crafted very detailed and frankly what is probably unique bylaws uh, as far as i'm aware of in order to carefully um, constrain how MWS could wield the, the collective voting power of its members. And because it's in the bylaws, even the board of directors cannot override this. That's why we've done it that way. Okay, right. So tell just, it, we focus a lot on the governance professional, but there are many players at hand addressing several issues. Um, you refer to it as a governance stack. Could you give our audience a high level view of this concept? Yes, as soon as I explain it, I'm sure uh, you will all recognize the concepts. People talk about bylaws, but very quickly, um, policies will be discussed, directives, procedures, all those written instruments. And at a higher level, you have the enabling statute, or sometimes um, there are regulatory instruments that are binding on the organization. This, in my mind, forms what I call a vertical governance stack. Why vertical? Because whatever is on top uh, needs to guide, inform, and constrain what is at a lower level. So at the apex of that vertical stack in Canada, we have the Constitution. So whatever is in the Constitution, laws cannot um, go about to deal with the matter differently than what is set. And if you further go down under laws, you have regulations. Regulations mm -hmm. are taken by governments. And then you have the certificate of incorporation, or for some organization, it's called letters patent. And right. they are, a lot of people are not aware of this. Sometimes I deal with the students in my classes uh, that tell me that they have no idea where the letters patents are. They've not really consulted with them. They have bylaws and they've upgraded them, but they have no idea if their bylaws are aligned with the letters patent. Right. This is critical. So that's vertical governance uh, because whatever is in your bylaws can never contradict your letters patents or at a higher level, the enabling statute. Now, when it gets really interesting, and that's the reason why I have a distinct workshop at Governance Professionals Canada on topic, Mm -hmm. When you go further down, because not everything needs to be set in bylaws, right? Bylaws are crystallized, they're hard to amend, they give you stability, but whatever you gain in stability, you lose in flexibility. So at a lower level, there are these things called policies, directive, procedures, but they don't have a standard meaning. They mean okay. different things to different organizations. So in in our in my class, what I teach is well, let's order them vertically so that policies are controlled by the board, directed mm -hmm. by the CEO or general manager, and procedures can be departmentally controlled. Okay, and I know just based off of feedback from, um, from hosting some of your sessions, I know we get a lot of positive feedback in regards to that picture, that, that vertical stack. So that's really helpful, Patrick, thank you. Um, but do you think that organizations face difficulties with their processes and structures often? You know, if one day I have someone that tells me that they have no problem about process <laughs> in the organization, <laughs> it is always a problem. Right. Uh, the, 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 the challenge is that organization, they are always evolving. They thrive, they grow, or they go through transitions. There's always something happening with them. And that means that governance should in step also evolve. 
but that's very hard to keep it in sync all the time. So you're bound to have at some point governance that is slightly, slightly out of touch with how the organization has evolved. That's 98% of organizations out there. And I'm including governments, I'm including private sector, not-for-profits and academic institutions. So the goal is always for governance professionals, boards, management, to keep an eye out on their governance environment and say, okay, what needs our attention? What needs our attention now? How can we improve it? But the mindset should be one of continuous improvement. So the goal is never to arrive at a point where we say, okay, our, process, our processes, our governance, our procedure, everything is perfect. We can rest now and not think about this for three years. That is not the right mindset. The mindset right. is continuous improvement. Okay. All right. Okay. I mean, so I've been tasked, or anyone, any one of our listeners have been tasked um, the, the role to, to create a bylaws. Why should an organization create custom bylaws versus just taking a template? Is there a template? But why 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 have it custom made? I love that question. The first thing I need to uh, to state is the need for bylaws will not, the intensity of that need will not be the same, whether you're a publicly traded organization on the Toronto Stock Exchange, mm-hmm. or whether you're a non-for-profit incorporated under Part 3 of the Companies Act in Quebec. Why is that? Well, in the first case, uh, you're under a lot of scrutiny. There's a lot of laws that applies to you. There's a lot of regulatory instruments that are binding on you. So there's a lot of the governance environment is imposed on the company that is publicly traded. Right. Perhaps there is even a unanimous shareholder. Uh, there's a lot of obligations, which the total sum of these obligations and governance constraints paints to a picture where the residual topics and things that can be dealt in bylaws is relatively small. So it can happen in those organizations that they don't have bylaws. Right. And this is might be counterintuitive for some because you have this very large organizations and they don't have much in terms of bylaws. It's not because they don't need it. It's just because a lot of the subject matter has been dealt with elsewhere. Contrast this with non-for-profits in Canada. So non-for-profits, whether they're federal or provincially incorporated, depending on the jurisdiction, have very little by way of governance constraints on them. Um, So paradoxically, even if you're a very small non-for-profit, you Mm -hmm. might be more than other organizations, a solid set of bylaws. So that's the first thing I want to say is the intensity of the need will vary on that axis because of that reason. Okay. The other thing is bylaws there, even in time, if I go back 20 years, 30 years, uh, as compared to the last five years, the expectations are vastly different. There's a lot of uh, predictability. Stakeholders, when they relate to an organization, and I mean internal or external, um, they want predictability. Uh, They want a way to know when problems and challenges arise, how will they be solved? And if you want that, uh, typically that points to a bylaws. If you don't have a unanimous shareholder agreement, or what is more rare, a unanimous members agreement for non-for-profits. Right. The problem with these two instruments is once they're locked in, they're very hard to change. It's unanimous. 
Whereas for bylaws, the bylaws themselves can incorporate a way to amend the bylaws. And this can be, you know, for some topics, it can be a simple majority rule or a special majority, whatever is the preference of the organization can be built in the bylaws. Okay, so is there, so is there, is, so there's no one temp, is there a template for bylaws then? Is there? The only template that I'm aware of and uh, that I would recommend is for an exceedingly narrow use case. It's what I call shelf organization or shelf corporations. So when you have a, a law firm or a lawyer in their office, they right. might preemptively incorporate an, uh, a company, for example. Right. And they're called a shelf company because they just have it ready. It's a numbered company so that when a client walks in uh, and needs a company right now to do X, Y, Z, they can offer the company all the work has already been done. It's already been incorporated. So by definition, shelf organizations like this, uh, you cannot have particular uh, customized bylaws because you have no idea what they will be used for. Okay. Uh, in terms of template, uh, I recommend their use in my classes for inspiration. So okay. yes, go look, go obtain <laughs> templates of similar organizations anywhere or organization of the same type as yours in your same jurisdiction. So if you're a nonprofit for Quebec, for example, uh, uh, protecting uh, for the protection of animals, I would say, well, go look for bylaws of organizations that are in the same field as you protecting animals worldwide. Mm -hmm. But you should also look for bylaws of other nonprofits in Quebec, if you're incorporated in Quebec. And in okay. both cases, those can be used as templates, inspiration, but I think you are really missing out on so much if you don't take the time to customize the bylaws to your specific organization. Okay, all right. So, so for a governance professional who's just starting out, where, where would they start? They would, where would they start? They would start with, I'm sorry, it, you, call, you refer to it as, um, there was a company that you referred to, sorry. The, the company in my, in my example earlier, MWES? Yes, yeah. Yes. Well, in this case, there was a, a little uh, benefit that I had that most people don't have. I'm a member of the bar, so I have legal training. So it's easier okay. for me to go and delve and think of this vertical governance stack. But a lot of governance professionals, uh, they're not lawyers, nor do they need to be. You don't need to be a lawyer to be an effective governance professional. But ideally, you know how to work with one. So as a governance professional working inside the organization, mm -hmm. you should uh, steer the boat, so to speak, or steer the ship. Uh, you will be the people, and when I say people, I mean the board and management. The board and management will look to you for inspiration on what's important. So if the project that is discussed is a new set of bylaws or uh, a heavily a significant update to the bylaws, maybe because they haven't been touched in 15 to 20 years. I've seen this regularly. Mm -hmm. Then I think the first place you need to start is to just have a discussion around the table. That's the first key principle. Don't do this alone. Don't do this on your own desk. Mobilize a discussion, mobilize the board and management and say, okay, why are we not happy with the current bylaws? And just listen. Do a lot of stakeholder consultations. Bylaws, by definition, are a way to stabilize relationships between the board, the shareholders, the members, the management, the employees, everyone. It's a way to create a level playing field where everyone knows how will everything be dealt with. 
Uh, I'll give you an example. Yeah. A lot of people think that meeting rules is just such a boring part of the bylaws, right? You uh -huh. send documents seven days in advance, and you must do this, and you must do that, and then it's just, just minutia. Well, it is minutia when everything goes well and everybody loves each other. These rules are there for when situations are tense and we want to prevent an abuse of power or we want to prevent a board member being blindsided. So, for example, the, uh, the rule about the agenda being filed X days in advance and documents sent is so that every board member has a chance to review this in time and make their own decision as to whether they are present at the board meeting or not. What you want to avoid is a board member that, based on an, on an agenda, decides not to show up for whatever reason. And then another board member attending, knowing that board member X is not there, wants to change the agenda significantly to address a substantive point not disclosed in the agenda that was sent, so that the decision is made right away and binding on the organization because they knew that if board member X had been present, they would have opposed. So there's a lot of um, level playing rules and bylaws that are not necessarily explained in the manner that I've just did, but right. that's the reason that they're in bylaws. And that's the reason they are not just uh, guidelines uh, adopted by the board as an afterthought. No, they are binding on the board. We now interrupt this podcast to share with you that as a professional organization, Governance Professionals of Canada puts governance professionals first with education, professional development, networking, critical resources, advocacy, and strategic partnerships tailored to your unique needs. It's never too late to enhance your skills and to find your tribe, so invest in your future by joining Governance Professionals of Canada today. For more information, visit gpcanada.org forward slash join. That's gpcanada.org forward slash join. And join us at GPC. Okay, all right. But, but okay, so when you, when, when I say bylaws, when people say or, or talk about bylaws, people, they, they sometimes scringe. Um, but you have a very practical way of, of teaching it um, throughout uh, the GPC courses. Um, in, in teaching the Ten Commandments of crafting bylaws, which rule is most important to to want for you? I'm sure that you said you won't be surprised because I knew you were listening. And says, <laughs> uh, read the enabling statute. I've repeated this so often to my students, and uh, it's maybe something that some of them have never done, especially mm -hmm. those that are not lawyers. Uh, the lawyers will. But I always tell them, look, if your organization, there, there's two possibilities. There's not many. One right. is incorporated by virtue of what I call a generic statute. So the Companies Act. There's a lot of companies and not-for-profits in Quebec that are incorporated under this. Or you have a specific statute that created you if you're a museum, for example. So there's a statute that was uh, passed by parliament or by a legislature creating you. That is your enabling statute. You really have to read this as a governance professional. You should, you know, soon uh, as, as as soon as you join the organization, that should be one of the first things you read. 
and you will be surprised how much you will remember. You don't need to be a lawyer. You don't need to apply it by heart. You don't need to interpret it, but you need to have a general sense of the boundaries because that enabling statue will set the boundaries of your organization. Okay. I repeat it often because it's been my experience that people are intimidated by going and reading a statue, but they shouldn't be really. You just read through and then you work with a lawyer if you have any doubt about anything. Okay, all right. How can an organization move beyond the compliance part of it? Compliance is an interesting word. You know, compliance by definition is reactive. You're complying with something so that something has been set already. You are in reactive mode. I dare say that governance takes also, I mean, it incorporates compliance, but you want to be proactive. You want to be looking forward. You want to anticipate change, changes to the environment. You want to take into account the risk management plan of the organization. So if there are governance rules that help you mitigate risk, you will implement them. You're not doing this necessarily out of compliance. There's no legal or regulatory requirement forcing you to do so but for good business sense or operational reasons, uh, because it's helping you to meet your strategic and operational goals, you do it anyway, proactively. That's what the heart of governance should be. Uh, so just to be clear, yes, it does incorporate compliance, right. but a lot more, it should be a lot more. Okay, is there anything else that you could, that you could recommend in mitigating risk within an organization? Because I'm like the, I'm sure the, the bylaws are written to do that, but is is there anything else that you that you would recommend? It's it's interesting you, that you mentioned the bylaws are written to do that because it's my experience that they are rarely written that way. Okay. Uh, most people do not think of connecting the risk management plan on one hand, so everybody's familiar with that Excel sheet or Google sheet. I'm talking about small and medium enterprises, but if you're right. a, a larger organization, you may even have a risk management dedicated platform and system. Mm -hmm. But in both cases, you basically have an inventory of risks. Some of the risks will be categorized principal risk. So principal risks, they're supposed to be owned and managed directly by the board, not delegated to management. A principal risk can jeopardize the viability of the organization, its financial sustainability, its reputation to a large degree. So you have that inventory of principal risk and other risks. Uh, you have, you know, how, how vulnerable is the organization to it? What are the remediation measures? So on and so forth. So there's this list. Now, organization is actually going through line by line and just asking the question, is there anything from a governance point of view that we can do to help mitigate that risk? That is something that I encourage my students to do because just taking the time to go through the list, reading it and asking that question, sometimes uh, you're surprised, you come up with ideas and then that idea makes its way into the vertical governance stack. Now, whether it will change a bylaw, a policy, a procedure or a directive, uh, that depends on the organization and the issue. Yeah. Sometimes it can touch on several levels. But that, that I find is a, uh, an underestimated connection. Governance can help in mitigating risks. Now it's perfectly fine if for uh, you know, more than 50% of those lines, you come up with a blank. You don't have an answer. No, you don't see how governance can help mitigate that risk. That's fine. 
but you will come up for a lot of lines with answers. Okay, and then with with bylaws, there they should always be how like, they should always be reviewed as well. Like how often is is there a set is there a standard to reviewing bylaws? Should it be reviewed on a yearly basis? Should they be reviewed every five years? Is is there a, a governance standard, or is it or is it just based on organizations? Sure, there's a every time that the enabling statute or related uh, regulations change. Mm -hmm. uh, you should have either internal counsel or external counsel on retainer to uh, prompt. They should be prompted to tell you if something needs to be changed in the bylaws as a result of that change. It makes sense, right? The enabling right. is above your bylaws. If it changes, it might affect your bylaws. You don't want to end up in a situation where your bylaws are actually allowing something that is not legal. Right. And by the way, this happens very often. So in Quebec, not-for-profit incorporated provincially allows proxy voting in their bylaws. That's not permissible in their case law. Uh, there's a lot of examples, uh, or, or for example, if a board member resigns, okay, and then the board, the other board member choose someone to replace that board member for the remaining duration of their term. That's a very typical clause that I see. Right, that, yeah. Uh, because in the enabling statute, it, it, it can say in some jurisdiction that when there is a vacancy created and the board selects someone to fill that vacancy, the term of that person must end at the next AGM. Wow, okay. But the bylaws cannot uh, say that the term will be longer if the statute restricts it. So in terms of how often should they be reviewed, I just wanted to start it with this. There are external events that might you that might prompt you to do an immediate review. Just quick, is there anything we need to change? So barring those external events from an internal perspective, I would say as a minimum, every time there is a, a major transformation that is envisioned, such as a merger, an acquisition, uh, a transformation, an amalgamation of departments, uh, major okay to the administrative environment that's a minimum you don't wait you, you you have to factor this in the change management other than this what i like to do if there it's just business as usual no major changes uh, we have something in most organizations that i work with called an annual board cycle so it's mm -hmm. a thing where we drop standing items that are to be considered by the board at every may meeting or every february meeting so Review of bylaws can just be a standing item, at least on an annual basis, prompting the board to consciously ask the question, do we need to review anything in the bylaws? If the answer is no that year, so be it. <clears throat> but this is a sure way to avoid a situation of 20 years going by, nothing is done. And all of a sudden, everybody wakes up and they realize that they're managing the organization in a way that has nothing to do with the bylaws. Right, right, and and that scare it does happen. I'm sure I, it, it's scary, but it sounds like it does, and it can happen. Um, what can the governance professional um, and board members do um, when they're faced with difficulty implementing these types of changes or any kind of changes? So it will depend on the difficulty. So what I'd there's a something called root cause analysis. It's, uh, you know, when you ask why, 
three, four, or seven times in a row to get to the mm -hmm. root cause of the problem. So I would say first make an inventory. So if management reports back and saying, uh, you know, to the board, this has been difficult, or it's not working. Uh, the first thing I would do, okay, well, make me a list, make me a list of precisely what is not working and what are the difficulties. And then you tackle each item on the list and you find out the root cause. So they can be very different. One root cause is lack of training. You change something in a governance environment, it, re it requires people to work differently. They're not aware or willing, or maybe it, it's more of a culture problem. You're trying to impose a way of working in the governance structure that is completely uh, not aligned or attuned to the culture of the organization. That's a very different problem than a training problem. So I would say when there are problems that arise, um, you make a list and for each one, you do a root cause analysis to find out what's the real reason why there is a problem and then you adjust accordingly. Okay. All right. Do, do you see any current trends in the governance processes or structures that the audience should be aware of? And, and if you do, how, how can they navigate these changes? Well, there are at least three major uh, changes. Uh, they're more like currents, I'd say. Uh, each okay. current embodying a lot of changes. Uh, not in any particular order. One is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Anyone mm -hmm. that reads the media will see how uh, boards are encouraged to step up. It's not acceptable anymore to have right. a board that is not reflective of society or customers or employees. Uh, this, I mean, maybe 10, 15 years ago was almost wish like a wish list. Yeah, yeah. An aspirational statement that you would yeah. see in annual reports. But now regulatory authorities are starting to take note. Uh, they are for publicly traded companies. Uh, it's starting to become a. Uh, it's it's called it's it's not an obligation as an illegal obligation, but you have the obligation to explain why you're not meeting a target if you're not meeting it. So mm -hmm. that's often indicative of a transition period. Um, so everything that relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion is a big current. And I think it's it will not abate, if anything, because companies that have embraced this change are realizing that it's helpful for them. It's right. not something to comply with. So that's one current. Definitely, yeah. The the second current I have in mind is environmental, social, and governance, or so ESG. Uh, 20, 30 years ago, we would make jokes as to what's you know what's the responsibility of a board. It's to mm -hmm. hire and fire a CEO, right? That's it. And then uh, social times. Now right. boards are, are increasingly expected to have a wide range of expertise to be relied upon, their shoulder with additional responsibilities. Um, cybersecurity, just that one was it's not huge. really even thought of 30 years right. ago. Yeah. And it's preventing some board members to sleep at night because there's incredibly high risk that can completely uh, sabotage the organization in the eyes of the public. Right. ESG, uh, and same thing for environmental, the notion of a public goods, you know, clean air, clean water. How does your corporation affect the environment? These are no longer 
issues that can be sidestepped as aspirational comments in the annual report because mm -hmm. institutional investors are voting with their dollars. There are some very powerful institutional investors that will divest their holdings in a company if the company is not meeting its ESG targets or is not setting um, targets. targets. Yeah. So that's the second current that I'm seeing. A third one is uh, all the expectations around the relationships between shareholder and institu institutional investors specifically, or just stakeholders generally. Uh, it used to be where boundaries were a lot more clear and difficult to cross. You know, em employees were a group, pensioners were another group, clients were another group. And mm -hmm. then you have the board members, and then you have the owners, all these distinct groups uh, not operating with regard with one another in a very permeable fashion. But now there's a lot of shareholder activism. Shareholders are more vocal. Uh, the pay, the say on pay uh, is, is something very famous in shareholder meetings. Right. It's actually just a say on pay, yes or no, take it or leave it. But even if shareholders uh, don't think they have a real influence, because even if they say no, it can go forward. It's not binding on management in many settings. Uh, they, they, they will take the time to exercise their power and find ways to exert influence. So all that notion of uh, uh, being able to successfully manage stakeholders' investation, uh, expectations is a, a major current of change and uh, and on a last note about this it's not only uh, social it's also legal so in canada in corporate law there it used to be set in uh, corporate law that the expectations of shareholders need to be taken into account by the board when making decisions and this has been changed to stakeholders right. so there's even a legal recognition that a company cannot solely act according to the interest of its shareholders. It must have a broader view. Let's take a brief pause for a special word from GPC. Did you know that Governance Professionals of Canada offers timely and relevant courses all year round? These sessions are created by governance professionals for governance professionals. GPC's education classes, professional development courses, and events are designed to expand your learning opportunities and enhance your skill set as a governance professional. Our sessions are cross-country, local, in-person, and, where possible, available via webinar. We also offer sessions that range by sector, skill level, and trend. To learn more or to register, visit www.gpcanada.org forward slash events. That's gpcanada.org forward slash events. Are you interested in a specific topic that's not on our events calendar? Contact us. Our email is events at gpcanada.org. Let us know the events and education you need to sharpen your skills. Again, you can email events at gpcanada.org and let us know how we can support your success as a governance professional. This podcast will now continue. Thank you so much for your support. Okay, yeah, that makes total sense. How can our audience find out more information about this topic? 
Well, there's a lot of uh, uh, resources online. Of course, Governance Professional Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have workshops, they have certifications, uh, mm-hmm. there are others like this uh, in Canada or abroad, but a lot I find is available free from organizations like the Canadian Coalition of Good Governance, for example. Okay. okay. <clears throat> Sometimes there's organizations that although they don't specifically relate to governance, I find them as good sources. Uh, the Institute on Risk Management, for example, IRM, uh, I mean, risk management is an important part of governance, and right. IRM does fantastic work in the, those areas. So, uh, frankly, uh, I'm just thinking out loud uh, about other one. COSO, uh, I remember the, if you Google the acronym COSO, is another one. COBOL, C-O-B-O-L, is a standard that sometimes when you when you read it for inspiration as to how to influence your vertical governance stack, it can be useful. But okay. I, but I want to take a step back and say, uh, start a different way by answering your question. I forgot the basis. I mean, the basis should be take some training that lays a solid foundation. I should start. Okay. All right. so, but but you did you did say the GPC does offer those trainings. So you you yes. started there. You started you started, which is good. So we do, GPC. I, I want to emphasize it because I realize that if you don't have that foundation and you go piecemeal, it will be difficult to integrate and relate all these things together. You need that foundation so that after, as a lifelong activity, you can go and take an additional workshop on a specific topic. For example, if you want to deepen your knowledge on risk management, you can take just that, but you will you will have a better appreciation of how it fits in the larger world of governance. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I would also highly suggest, and this is just a, I will show that I'm a, you know, part of an older generation. <laughs> I really like traditional media because I find that, you know, when I get my Globe and Mail, for example, <laughs> in the morning and I read the business section, I get right. a lot more quality articles than whatever I can find on social media. Yeah, the good old newspaper, right? Yes. <laughs> good old newspaper magazine. Yeah, people, it, that's, it's, I think a lot of people now are taking that for granted. They don't really, but yeah, no, I get it. I, I love a good old newspaper and even book um, instead of reading things online. It, it makes things a lot more, Absolutely. you can digest it a lot better. <laughs> and you will find in those traditional media accounts of ongoing stories that involve governance uh, recently in Canada, we had an epic unfolding of a family drama, the Rogers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if that's not governance in play, I don't know what that is. You don't know, yeah, yeah, no, it's absolutely, absolutely right. And it's so fascinating to see, and and even in just in listening to you and and to and listening and and hosting a lot of the programs on from GPC, how everything is so integrated and how it's really, as as you said, that foundation of learning just a little bit is it it really flows into everything else and helps get a really good understanding of how good governance practices can can work and be beneficial for one's role and and organization. Yes, and I would hope that if someone gains a new appreciation for the concept that I teach called vertical governance, you would have read the Roger Saka and the commentary. It did point out that, you know, while uh, the chairman was trying to replace all the board members, almost all with other new members. 
And then there was a slight commentary somewhere, well, uh, the answer is likely to be found in the enabling statute. Right. Right? And that's right. exactly how it played out. That's exactly what the judge did. The, the judge interpreted the enabling act and how it applied to this situation. And that's a, that's a pure example of vertical governance. It wasn't so much about what the bylaws or lower instruments or documents purported to do or create. It was about, well, what's the governing rule at a higher level, in this case, in the enabling statute. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Is there any other final words that you have um, for us, Patrick? Uh, that's a good one. <laughs> Broad. <laughs> right. Uh, sometimes I get asked, why do I care so, deep, so deeply about bylaws? Yeah. Uh, no one, no one, and, and I include myself in this, no one wakes up in the morning thinking, I'm going to write bylaws today. <laughs> it just doesn't exist. Uh -huh. uh, that's not what inspires me. What inspires me is when you have a properly crafted set of bylaws together with the rest of the governance stack, so the policies, the procedure, everything works well, you are significantly improving the professional lives of everyone in the organization. Mm -hmm. it's, true. it's that big. It can be that powerful. In fact, if your bylaws and your governance environment does not have that effect, I would question your stack not to be designed properly. It's about empowering individuals to live their best professional lives in an mm -hmm. organization that has been intentionally tuned up for success. That's why people should care. And that's why I'm enthusiastic about it. That's awesome. Your enthusiasm, it shows through. Um, we appreciate it. We thank you. And we need it, actually, because as, as I mentioned, bylaws is, it's, is, it is somewhat daunting and people, they tend to shy away from it. So to have someone um, such as yourself that is so passionate in, in teaching and, and helping others to understand about um, this, this concept, it's, it's, it's valued. So we appreciate that. And thank you. Thank you so much for that, Patrick. I'm glad for the opportunity. Thank you, Letrice. And then, so with that being said, uh, we wanted to, to thank you for taking the time to talk to us um, about this topic on, on bylaws. We want to thank our listeners for your support. Um, please don't forget to check out um, our show notes in the link um, and for resources. Uh, if you enjoyed this chat, please share this episode and even like this episode. Um, share it with others and and spread spread the word spread the information about what gpc is doing and and about bylaws um, if you want to learn more about patrick and about crafting and about crafting bylaws um, check out our show notes on this episode check out the gpc website um, as mentioned he does do um, a, a lot of courses with us so thank you um, to learn more about gpc visit our website at www.gpcanada Org. So thank you again for everyone for being with us today. Thank you again to Patrick, and we hope to see you again soon. Take care. The audio in this podcast is brought to you by Impact AV Solutions, building valuable partnerships and customized event designs for each of their clients. They utilize their technical and creative expertise to deliver the flawless execution of each event, making each one an unforgettable experience. Impact AV Solutions is based out of the GTA and is able to service events across Canada. For more information on their services, please visit impactavsolutions.com. 
This podcast was brought to you by Governance Professionals of Canada, or GPC, your voice for governance professionals nationwide. Our mission is to highlight all aspects of corporate governance for corporate secretaries, board members, committees, general counsel, risk, compliance, and more. For more information on GPC, please visit gpcanada.org. That's gpcanada.org. Tune in next time for our take on the latest in corporate governance.